We're continuing our series on the faithful presence of God and how we're continuing to try and experience God's presence so that we might become and embody God's presence to a world that so desperately needs to know who God is and what He's about. And we know as, as Christians that the presence of God is already everywhere and that there is nowhere that we can go or there is no corner of the world that is not touched by the presence of God in this or any moment. God is there. He is, he's everywhere. And we also know that, that when Jesus says that he's given us all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him so that he will go with us as we go to every people and nation of the earth to take them the presence of God so that they might become believers being baptized, becoming disciples of Jesus, that, that we have a responsibility then, if we are the disciples of Jesus, to go into every corner of the earth. That there is no place in this world that we are not called to make God's presence known. And so we know that God is present everywhere. We know that we are called to be God's presence in all places and in all times. And yet, we do it differently in different moments and in different places. When we are at church, we're in what we're calling in this series the close circle. We are so close to one another and in our relationships with each other that, that we know that Jesus is present in this place and that Jesus is host. He's the host here. And we show up as his guest and we show up with a special relationship then, not only with Jesus, but with one another. We who are in this room every week as the family of Jesus that meets here, his brothers and sisters, we come together and, and we've got a special relationship that we don't have with people who are not in Jesus Christ. It's different. And it's good that it's different. It's what makes it special. It's what makes it unique. It's good that when I go to my family reunion, I feel like I have a special connection there. And it's okay if I go to your family reunion that if I feel like you're a bunch of weirdos, you're not my people. Be careful. Right? We get that. Well, that should be true if we really believe that Jesus makes us, by being in Jesus, it makes us family. We should feel differently about one another than we feel about other people. Uh, that we should have a special relationship. That's the close circle where we are all disciples of Jesus and Jesus is host. And so when we come together, we hold each other accountable to living the Jesus way and, and to letting God's word guide us in how we live and to having special responsibilities that, that hold us in a unique relationship with each other. And yet when we go into the dotted circle, and the dotted circle is this second circle, and the dotted circle is where we are when we are not in church with all disciples, but we're at home, or we are in our own neighborhoods, or we're in circumstances where we are the host, and we're with people, our family, our friends, who also share our values and our beliefs. And so in that sphere, uh, it's the dotted circle, and it's dotted because there may be guests that come in and experience the presence of God in our midst as a result of the way that we're living. And so you can imagine, uh, there's this beautiful image um, in, in a, I heard a, a speaker talking about family ministry some years ago. And he says, you go to lots of old churches and you'll see paintings uh, of Jesus and paintings of the apostles. And those paintings are designed so that you can look at them and say, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. 
And he says, but listen, in our world today, it would be much more powerful if your marriage and your family became such a thing that people who don't believe in God could look at your family and say, man, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Those kinds of, of moments take place in the dotted circle where Christians are in the world, but we're doing so as host. And the world shows up as guest and kind of gets to see what we as Jesus' disciples are all about. And yet so much of our life isn't lived when we're at church or at home as host with our families. So much of our life is lived in the world. And the world believes all kinds of stuff. And the world's values are all over the place. And it becomes increasingly true all the time, or at least it seems that way. And when we're in the world, the world is host, and we often go as guest. And as Christians are moved more and more to the margins of our society, it becomes more and more true that we are more guest and less host when we are in the world. And that's okay. The New Testament was born in a world where that was true, and the New Testament took root and brought about all of Christianity that has taken place in the kingdom of God and all that it's grown in the last 2,000 years. There is not a soil in which the kingdom of God cannot take root and produce an incredible crop, but it is different. It's different when we're in the world. When we're in the world as disciples of Jesus, we know that the kingdom of God is already present in that moment. We know that God's presence is there in that place and in that moment. What we don't know is if the other people around us will become aware of that in the present time or if they will only become aware of it in the future. And what we don't know is if in that moment or in the future, if they will welcome God's presence or our presence as God's people. That's debatable. That's unknown. And that's why we live differently in the world than we do in the close circle or the dotted circle. And so when we're in the world as guests, we go there into that sphere and we call it the half circle. Because we go in and we're trying to figure out how can I, as a disciple of Jesus, make the presence of God known to the people who are here in a way that they might acknowledge and might even welcome. That becomes our challenge. In this series, we're looking at, at ways that we can find spiritual disciplines that Christians regularly do that we can live out in the close circle, the dotted circle, and the half circle. And we think about what it means to be Christians in every moment of our lives. Because we could do what many of us do, which is, I'm a Christian at church, and in the rest of the week I try not to think about it, but I'll go back on Sunday and apologize for the lack of stuff I've thought about since last Sunday. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is allowing the presence of God to be known to us so that we might make him known to others in every sphere of our lives. This happens repeatedly in the New Testament. We see different ways that it's hinted that this is happening. One of them is at the very beginning, the birth of the church, as we know in Acts chapter 2. Uh, there's this passage at the end of Acts 2 where it's describing the kingdom of God and these, these new Christ followers that are living among the Jews in Jerusalem. And here's how it describes it. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's two little verses, but what do we see? They're functioning in the close circle 
of the temple where they go to do church as we kind of think about it, as we know it. This is the religious fear, the, the church fear, the, the place where everyone who is there is there to experience God's presence. They go to temple and they would regularly meet there in the temple courts to, to do the things that you do when you're with all the believers. And then they would move into the dotted circle of breaking bread in one another's homes. And in those days, they didn't have air conditioning. And if you don't have air conditioning, you don't have windows. And if you don't have windows, you know what happens when you sing? The people outside hear it. You know what happens when you are in your home and you're breaking bread? You might invite a neighbor to join you. You know what happens if you're, you're in a house and, and someone uh, falls out a window and dies because the preacher talked too long and all of a sudden he's back alive? Your neighbors notice. There's probably a warning to the preacher there, right? And so in all of these dotted circle moments, what we see is that the church begins to grow and neighbors come in and experience what it's like to be part of the body of Jesus. And yet there's this other verse at the end of this where it says, and all the people had favor on these early disciples of Jesus, which means that they're having an impact on the half circle. They're having community-wide impact. Whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not, you feel good about the people who are. And that's saying something. If the church could get back to just that level of favor in the world that we live in today, that would be pretty remarkable. We are a long ways from being able to say that the church meets regularly on Sunday mornings and then in one another's homes during the week, and all the people, whether they went to church or not, had favor towards those who were disciples of Jesus. But this was true of the first Christians. We see when Jesus sends out the disciples in, in Luke chapter 10, listen to how he sends them out uh, into the world. This is one of the very first mission trips that Jesus assigns. He says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there. Eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Think about what Jesus is telling the disciples. He says, listen, I'm sending you out on a difficult task. You're going to go in pairs. I don't want to send you out alone. But as I'm sending you out, what you need to know as you go on mission is you're going, and these are not Jesus' words, but this is what we're talking about here right now. As you go into the half circle of the mission field, as you go as guest and you require someone to be your host, I'm sending you out and you're going to be vulnerable. Don't take money. Don't take luggage. Don't take sandals. I don't know why they need to be barefoot, but this is the instruction that Jesus gives them. He says, listen, as you go on the mission field, you're going to have to depend on others to invite you in. You're going as guest. You need others in order to make it on this mission trip. 
And when you get to a town, go in and find a house and, and say peace to this house. And if the peace is received, then you stay there and you eat what they offer you and you drink what they offer you and you be a good guest and you build a relationship with them. And he tells them, don't bounce from house to house and see how much good food you can get from all the neighbors. Stay in the place where you land and build a relationship with them there. And only then do you begin your ministry. Only then do you begin healing. Only then do you begin proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. You start as guest, and then as you move into the dotted circle, you begin to offer them things such as healing and, and, and good news in hopes that they then will become close circle people. Jesus is building this desire in the disciples, this, this practice into the disciples of missionally going as guests and needing others so that they can then build a relationship and teach others what they need in Jesus Christ. We see him doing mission work in the circles. It's done differently in different places. And Jesus does this himself. Jesus often enters the scene of stories uh, as guests. He comes to the woman who's at the well, the woman who's had multiple husbands, and the one that she's with now is not her husband. And he comes up to her, and he doesn't say, uh, woman, can I get you some water? Which is what a host would say. He says, uh, excuse me, could you get me something to drink? Can you be host to me in this moment? And it startles the woman. Who are you, a Jewish man, to be speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Who are you? What is going on here? And when we see Jesus doing this over and over again, he places other people in the position of host in a way that honors them and it turns power dynamics upside down and he shows up as guest. And when she challenges him, he says, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If I were the host, I could give you something far greater than I'm even asking you to do as my host in this moment. And as that story moves on, what happens is that this woman comes to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And not only does she believe, but she goes and she starts telling all of her neighbors that she's been hiding from at the well. She says, listen, you've got to come meet this guy. He is the Messiah. And many believe in Jesus on her testimony alone. And then as they come to meet Jesus, many more believe on his teaching as a result of her invitation. And all of these Samaritans, Jesus stays there with them for two or three days, move into the close circle of believers, right. of people who have faith in Jesus and who he is and who he claims to be and the difference that it's going to make in their lives and in the world. It's this movement through the circles. We see it with Zacchaeus where Jesus comes up to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree for I'm going to your house today. Jesus doesn't say, because I'm going to take you out to dinner, and I'm going to you know, bring you along, and I'm going to coddle you. And I'm going to... He says, I'm going to your house. You're going to be host to all of me and my disciples and everyone that's traveling with me. We're going to your house. You're going to be the host of a great banquet today. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by this honor, and as he spends time with Jesus and learns about who he is and what he's about, he becomes transformed by this experience. By the end of the dinner, Zacchaeus has said, listen, if there's anyone, Zacchaeus is a, a short little tax collector, and if there's anyone that I've ever wronged, I'll pay him back four times more than I took from them wrongly. I'll pay it back in, in, in full and then again and again and again 
to make up for what I've done wrong. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus enters as guest. And when Jesus enters as guest, he often moves at some point in the relationship to a place of offering something to the host that they didn't have without him. And as a result, it transforms their relationship with Jesus and with the other disciples and with the other followers of Jesus and ultimately their relationship eternally with the kingdom of God. And today we're going to be looking at the first of the practices as we think about spiritual practices that we as Christians do in an ongoing and regular basis and thinking about, well, how do they work at church? How do they work at home? And how do they work when we're in the world? Because if, if we engage with people differently in those places, certainly spiritual practices, and today we're talking about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Sometimes we call it communion in other denominations and groups and churches. They call it the Eucharist. Uh, They're different words for one practice. They're different words that describe when we come together on Sunday mornings and we gather around the table, the table that Jesus first started. And the table is all about experiencing the presence of Jesus, experiencing Jesus being present with us in this bread and in this fruit of the vine in a way that invites us into his presence and then changes us in some way. There's a lot of different ways about thinking about how the presence of Jesus shows up at the table. Um, Historically, Christians have argued about this a lot of times. If if you don't know a lot of church history uh, and you're like, why did churches split over and over and over and over again? A lot of the arguments were about how Jesus shows up in the table. Um, And and just to give you a brief overview that's not technical but is maybe kind of interesting to you, uh, there's some groups that believe that Jesus shows up in the bread and in the juice, that you actually, when you put the bread on your tongue, it turns to flesh and you eat the flesh. And when you drink the juice, it transforms into blood and you drink the blood. And that Jesus is physically and chemically and and biologically present as you consume him. Some groups that that believe that, that you ingest him. They get that from some passages in John. Um, That's not me. I'm not, I don't, I I don't, I think that's weird. Okay, that's just me. Um, I don't think that's what's happening. Uh, Other groups said, listen, he's not present in the elements, but he's present at the table. So that you can imagine then when you take the Lord's Supper, uh, that Jesus is not on the plate. He's in the chair next to you. He's at the table. He's relationally present to you. Um, That he is, is, is in the room. He's at the table. And that that should change how you think about what's happening at Communion. A lot of our tradition in in Churches of Christ came out of the idea uh, that Jesus is not in the elements and he's not at the table. He's not present next to us. In fact, what's happening is that we call Jesus to mind. And so a lot of our tables have historically said, do this in remembrance of me. And what we think of is that, that we bring Jesus into that moment by remembering Jesus and remembering all that he did. And, and, and similar to, uh, to gathering together in a memorial of some way that we call to mind the teachings of Jesus and the things that we know about him and the things that we believe about him. And then we, we let those things we know, uh, we're a very mind-oriented group, that knowledge then shapes us. I'll tell you, I, I tend to think that it's, it's something to do. We know from reading the New Testament that the Holy Spirit dwells in people who are baptized into Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is in his spirit present in us as we come together. 
we know from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that where two or more gather in his name, Jesus is there also. Yeah. And so while I don't intend to sit here and settle centuries of debate about where Jesus sits when we take the Lord's Supper on Sunday mornings, here's what I want to offer you, is that when two or more gather in Jesus' name, he's present. Right. He's present in a way that is real. Yeah. And he is present, we know, in us through his spirit when any time we come together with other believers. And so when we get together in, in a special way and, and direct our minds and our attention to Jesus, and we know that his spirit is in us, and when we gather he is in, in some way present among us, there's something special that happens when we engage in the Lord's table in the close circle of church. Something special. It's not just a remembering. Jesus is present in those moments, and he's present as host, and he invites us as guest. And all of this really begins, it begins in uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper where Jesus is having uh, a last supper, a last meal with the apostles and the disciples, and he's in the upper room and, and he's telling them, uh, hey, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you, and this juice represents my blood, which is spilled for you. And all of that is, in, is an echo of the Passover meal that they're celebrating in that day, but is a looking forward to how it's going to be celebrated differently in the church from that day forward. But in the moment that is, is, is happening in that upper room, there's so much more than just the Passover and just the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's in that room where the apostles begin that meal uh, in one of the Gospels with an argument about which of them will be the greatest if Jesus, in fact, does get arrested and crucified. Which of us will have the most power and authority? And Jesus says, listen, here's who's going to have the most power and authority. The greatest among you will be the one who is the servant of all. And he demonstrates that by washing their feet. And it causes all kinds of uh, stirrings of emotions, and, and they're trying to figure out what this means. And what Jesus is showing in that first Lord's Supper and in that room preceding it is that when it comes to Christians who gather around the Lord's table, there is no power dynamic that needs to be over us. I don't lord it over you like the Gentiles do. I don't take the power dynamics of this world where some has more influence and some has less. When we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, gather around the Lord's table, we do so in mutual submission to each other. Being willing to lower myself to put the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ ahead of my own, like Jesus demonstrated. We see this moment in this room around this table uh, where Jesus indicates that Judas is the one who is going to betray him. And, and Judas, in the intimacy of this meal and, and the thinking about the Passover and Jesus and the disciples, is overwhelmed by this moment. And he can't stay present. There is something about the Lord's table that if you are in rebellion against Jesus, exposes you. And it makes you feel that, that you need to either change something in your life or get out of there. It's very convicting. Judas experiences that to such an extreme extent that he flees that meal. He doesn't even make it to the end. Peter, on the other hand, in this moment says, Jesus, I pledge my allegiance to you forever. There is nothing that could separate me and my loyalty from you. And Jesus in this room says, actually, there is, and it's coming soon. You're going to deny me. You're going to deny me uh, in the immediate future. You're going to deny me three times. Peter's exposed in this, this meal. 
And what we start to see is that if we do this correctly in the gathering of believers in Jesus around the Lord's table, we immediately become exposed in our relationship with Jesus to our shortcomings in a way that, that reorients us and it brings us back into a right relationship with Jesus. You cannot appropriately sit at the Lord's table and not be transformed more into Jesus' image unless you're not doing it right. And it doesn't just affect our relationship with Jesus, it affects our relationship with each other. Paul talks about this extensively in, in 1 Corinthians. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians, and when he gets to how they're taking the Lord's Supper, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. He says, listen, if you come to church and you gather around the Lord's table and there are divisions among you, if you are using the Lord's table to separate those who have more from those who have less, you're not taking the Lord's Supper. That's not communion. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, which is New Testament speak for died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it will not result in judgment. Okay, here's what Paul says. It's a long text. Here's what he says. If you come to church and you have anger, hostility, uh, sin, division against your brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathered around this table with you, you're not taking communion. Yeah, right. And if you're doing so casually and you're taking communion sure. and you're not worried about your relationship with Jesus and you're not worried about your relationship with your brothers and sisters who are at the table with you, you're drinking judgment on your own head. And you're in risk, you're at risk of sickness, you're at risk of death. And we think, man, that sounds really harsh. And, and what Paul almost certainly has in mind when he writes this is, hey, remember in the Old Testament, 
when you had the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God was present in this Ark and you guys would carry it from town to town and, and it would be in the tabernacle and it would be in the temple. And there were times that you guys got real casual about the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, we got to bring it along, but it's just kind of some of the furniture on the way. And you got casual about it. You got lackadaisical and lazy. And you're, you're recognizing the presence of God is in a special way present in this ark, which means box, this box of the covenant where the law was stored. If you get casual about that, some of you are going to get sick. There was an, on one occasion an outbreak of tumors when the ark was where it wasn't supposed to be. Now, on another occasion, someone touched the ark because they were just kind of loading it on an ox cart and it fell and he went, I better catch it. And he caught it and he died. Is it because God is cruel? No. Is it because God, people begin to take the presence of God and the holiness of God casually? Yes. That will always have physical and real-world implications when we take casual the presence of God. Awesome. So Paul says, don't you know when you break the bread in the close circle with your brothers and sisters that you're experiencing the very real, special, sacred presence of God? It's not a memory. It's the presence of Jesus in this bread and in this juice. Are you lazy about it? Are you casual about it? Are you on your phone during it? Are you thinking about someone else? Are you mad at someone? Are you failing to evaluate your relationship with Jesus and your brothers and sisters around this table? There's probably going to be some real-world consequences for that. You might get sick. You might have other consequences. Your relationships might suffer. You might fall out of, uh, of a good relationship with Jesus. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That if Jesus really died on the cross so that we could be a family, and if we come together as a family to celebrate that in a meal, and if we gather at the meal and are divided and hostile against Jesus or one another, that's not the meal, and that's not what he died for. And it changes things. And so when we gather around the table in the close circle, Every week we should be very, very intentionally and with, and I don't mean serious like you have to look somber and sad like we often think about. It's not a funeral, but you should with intentionality. And you can smile when you think about what Jesus has done for you because he did some pretty good things for you. You can smile during communion and be joy-filled, but don't be lackadaisical and thinking about something else. Don't be casual. Be present to the presence of Jesus in this place and in your brothers and sisters. And it affects your relationships with Jesus and it affects your relationships with your brothers and sisters. And if it doesn't, you're doing it wrong and it's not the Lord's table. But the Lord's Supper, like every other part of Christian life, does not stay in the church. And we so often think that it does. We think that the Lord's Supper is a thing we do on Sundays and it's a thing we do in this room. And yet, if you actually look at the main purpose of the Lord's table, which is to help bring people into a knowing, uh, an awareness of the presence of Jesus, Jesus also tells us, hey, where two or more gather in my name, I will be there with you also. I hope that in the course of your week between Sunday and Sunday, that you have at least some occasion that you share a meal with a brother or sister in Christ, not here. And if you do, Jesus is there with you, which sounds a lot like the table, the table of the Lord. Jesus tells us, uh, there's an occasion where he's talking about the sheep and the goats and separating them on the judgment day. And he says, listen, anytime you saw someone hungry and you fed them, you fed me. Oh, yeah. 
And so if there's an occasion where you see someone hungry and you feed them, Jesus is there in that person, and you get to have a meal with Jesus in his presence. And so the Lord's Supper, while it happens in here on Sunday mornings in the close circle, it can move into our homes and our neighborhoods, and it can move out into the world. It doesn't just stay here. And so in the dotted circle of our homes and our neighborhoods, we have meals with our families, with our spouses and our children, uh, with friends from our neighborhoods. And, and here's the thing. If you're going to practice the Lord's table in your homes, here's a quick key to getting it to go well. Turn off the TV and put your phones somewhere else. Because to really experience the table of the Lord, you're going to have to connect eye to eye and heart to heart. And if you're going to ask each other, what's going on in your life and what's God's up to, what is God up to in your life? And if you're going to have a meaningful conversation about that, you can't do it while you're also playing on your phone or texting someone who's not at the table or watching uh, Wheel of Fortune. You can't do it. So turn off the screens. Be present to your family. Find opportunities for guests to come into our homes for shared meals. You don't have to have an agenda. You're just there to get to know them, to learn their life, and to let them learn your life. If you just be who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ, at some point they should be able to say, man, I can experience God's presence in your home, around your table, whether you preach to them or not. And it's when that relationship begins to form that conversations naturally happen that might lead them to say, man, I want to know more about what you believe and it might begin to shape what they believe. You don't invite them over for that purpose. You invite them over because there is something about sharing a meal with people that is something that Christians should do in their homes. And it doesn't have to be at home. If you're a coach of a kid's sports team, you show up as Jesus to those kids in the dotted circle. You don't have to preach to them, but in the way that you lead them, in the way that you model virtue and character, you can be demonstrating to them the fruits of the Spirit on a sports field as easily as you can in your own home around a table. And our church does this. Our church has activities and events that take place in the dotted circle. If you've been a part of our Alpha course on Wednesday nights, it is intentionally designed to be a dotted circle ministry. It is unapologetically Christian in the content that is provided, but it starts with offering a meal. And it says, hey, let's just get together and eat and get to know each other and share life with one another. And then there's kind of the presentation of of traditional Christian beliefs and, and, and understanding of who God is and the difference that he should make in your life. And then we talk about it. But because it's a dotted circle space, we don't put an expert at the head of the room and say, you have permission to ask me questions. I will tell you what is right, and you will learn what you are wrong about. There's places where that needs to happen in the church, but Alpha is a dotted circle ministry. So we say, listen, we're going to ask questions and all just share what we think about God. We're going to all share what we think about Jesus. And it's a conversational space where all are invited and welcome to fully present themselves and what they think about the world. And the presence of Christ is experienced in the relationship as much as in anything else. Our day school at Northwest is a dotted circle ministry. It's a ministry that happens at our building. It happens with with teachers that we pick who we believe are are good Christian leaders to children. And, And kids come in from all over the place. 
Almost none of our kids in our day school are, are members of this church anymore. A few are, uh, but we're so blessed to have kids uh, in many ways whose families come from around the world who come to this place, who come to this day school and get to see the love of Jesus in our day school teachers. And they learn the truth about Jesus and they talk about the Bible. And, and we're unapologetically Christian as hosts, but we recognize that you're guests and we love on these kids. And these families get to experience the presence of Christ in the lives of these teachers and these children. But God doesn't stay in the dotted circle. God moves into the half circle of the world. There's a minister who shared one time that he was walking down a street, and as he walked by the street, he could look in the windows of all the, the shops and restaurants and coffee shops, and he'd go to the bars, and there were all these people that were sitting together trying to fulfill their need for relationship. And he'd go and he'd see restaurants where people would gather together and they're sharing life with one another. And he'd walk on and there were people at coffee shops that were drinking and talking about all kinds of ideas and, and questions that mattered to them. He said, it occurs to me that every one of these people is practicing the table of the Lord. They just don't know that God's missing from the table. And as a result, many of them practice the table in wrong ways. That around those tables there's profane language or stories. There might be an over excessive consumption of alcohol. There might be unhealthy relationships. But they're still living in such a way that acknowledges that we're created to need the fellowship of the table. The question for Christians as we look into all of those places and those spheres is how can I, as a Christian bring their awareness to the presence of God that they lack, that they aren't aware of, that they're currently rejecting? How can I embody the presence of God and the presence of Jesus in a way that gets them to open the door to saying, I know what's missing around this table at the bar and this table in the restaurant. It's Jesus. And you can't do it by just running up and saying, you need Jesus, okay? But you find ways to build relationships with people, like Jesus sends out the 72. You go out like a sheep among wolves, and you find people whose peace is received, who receive your peace. And then you eat with them, and you build a relationship with them. And then over time, you then are able to proclaim the kingdom of God is near. And they don't wonder, did you just come here to do that because you've already poured your life into theirs, and they've poured their life into yours, and you've got the relationship to really do this kind of work? And they become aware of the presence of God in you, so they might then be willing to come into the presence of God in the close circle and be part of this. Be part of us. Be part of God and Jesus. So Alton, each week in the half circle, goes out with chili in the back of a church van. And you know what that is? That is the Lord's table in the half circle. I ask people sometimes who are coming from their downtown, and they go, I go, do you know Alton? And they go, I don't know anyone named Alton. I go, do you know Chili Man? They go, I know Chili Man. Okay, that's the Lord's table in the half circle. That's what it looks like. And, and Alton goes out there, and he serves chili. And is it because you're a chili salesman? No, he's not selling chili. Is it because you want everyone to know your name? No, they're not even learning his name. They think he's Chili Man. And so they're going out. Alton's goal in serving people chili in the world is that they will come to recognize the presence of God in that place so that someday they might come and join us around the close circle table of the Lord in this place. That is right. That is right. 
And so there's this parable where you go to the highways and the byways and you find anyone that will come into the feast and eat with you and you bring them in and you have a party. That's what eternity in the kingdom of God is like. It's the Lord's table for eternity in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God, to the glory of God who sent Jesus and who gives us the Spirit. I had a couple, this is my last story I'll give you and then we'll kind of wrap this up. No out of time. Um, I had a meeting a couple weeks ago. It was a meeting with a community group, and, and, and it, I was aware going into the meeting that there was a possibility that it was going to be a little bit contentious. And I didn't want it to be. It didn't need to be. I thought we could get on the other side of it pretty easily. Um, but going in, I, that possibility was there. Uh, so a couple days before the meeting, uh, I changed the meeting time to 30 minutes earlier. Why? Because I wanted to bring pizza. We're going to sit together around a couple tables and we're going to eat pizza and talk about our lives before we get to any of the items of business that need to be covered. We're going to get there. Why? Is it because pizza is miraculous? No, it wasn't that good a pizza. Is it because I had a brilliant plan? No. Is it because I was prayerfully hoping that the table of the Lord might bring peace into somewhere where no one else even expected it? that the kingdom of God might break through just in the practice of breaking bread, that my desire for the special sacred table of the Lord would break into that group in a way that would bring peace, in a way that they didn't even expect, that was my, my prayer. Um, did it work? It took a little while. But we're getting there. Because God is, is there in the close circle, but he's in the half circle, he's in the dotted circle. And when we are willing to eat with people in hopes that God shows up and begins to transform us and others, we become the people who are willing to say, when I'm at the table with Jesus, I need to evaluate my relationship with him and with others so that we might all get to the great banquet feast together. that sacred spiritual practices spills into the world and it spills into the world if we are only willing to take it outside of these walls and break bread with people and spend time with people without screens, without phones, without distractions, without agendas, but being present to people in every moment in hopes that they might say, I see God here and it's starting to change me to look more like his son, Jesus. If that's a decision and a commitment that you need to make today, we invite you to join us as we stand and sing. If you have a need to do that or to make any other commitment to Jesus, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing together.